Good afternoon, good afternoon. Let's get ready and get right into another KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc podcast. Doc, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a tough week. Obviously, a lot of things out there. If you let me jump in this, I think I can actually sum this up. You got with it. With the HBCU report, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge what had taken place. I mean, we had, obviously... Muhammad Ali passing uh, last week and culminating with uh, the Friday component of what they did on ESPN, the repass after they buried him and went through the city. Uh, One of the things we did on my show, uh, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, we always tried to look at an HBCU component. I thought it was intriguing. We started digging through the research um, uh, when he was going through uh, what many of us certainly now, if not then, talk about his trials and tribulations uh, with his stance against the Vietnam War and obviously what cost him uh, three and a half years, could have been five in terms of his career at that time uh, for a boxer obviously was in the prime of his career. That took place uh, in the courtrooms right here in Houston, as you were Mm -hmm. well aware of, and that was because he was a resident in Houston after coming down here and preparing for some fights, loving uh, the community and how Houston took him in. I thought it was very And gave my mom props for her pretty legs. Yeah, that's all, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he was that type of gentleman in terms of definitely playing uh, great uh, to the women and, and, and friends out there. But we talked about the fact that um, he had a huge connection with HBCUs as he was going through that. Right here with Texas Southern and later Prairie View, obviously in 1967. What's the appropriate word I want to use in terms of explaining in terms of U.S.? The 60s were volatile, volatile, uh, very challenging in a lot of ways. We even see that to some degree with now that you see ESPN doing documentary on OJ, it goes back. It's amazing of how many different seminal factors and how many different ways you can look at the lens in, in some I way it seems. I haven't seen it yet. I've recorded it, yeah, and I just started watching part one today. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people came in saying this is just another overhyped uh, product of ESPN, although they tend to do a lot of great um, story, so you do take that, but I think in a lot of ways people are kind of saturated OJ and how many ways you can tell this. But uh, once you watch it, I think he does a great job of really going back and telling the stories and looking at uh, a macro level of what created, obviously by the name, OJ Made in the USA, mm-hmm. uh, five-part trilogy, uh, component of this. And the fact that he looks at him from a very young person all the way up and just his framing life but they also look at what was taking place in the world at that time in the 60s so they go through these different movements as we go back to Muhammad Ali is the fact one of the more famous stances after he comes out of Houston and goes to Prairie View uh, because there was riots right here at Texas Southern University as they were pushing for their civil rights massacres whichever way you want to look at it you know, those words are very uh, important of how you coined them over a point of time. But as push, people were pushing for their civil rights, particularly African-American, uh, what a lot of people talk about blacks, and if you go to different 
areas of the U.S., you even start moving into Latin people and brown people uh, pushing back from uh, civil rights, which we'll get into Orlando when you even start looking at the uh, first components of what we now refer to as the LBGT community. But it was just fascinating for me to hold on to that. And he actually spoke to 6,000 students at Prairie View on campus because folks at Prairie View were very upset of how they felt. Uh, their comrades and students, remember at that time, uh, you still had a lot of people that were going to Prairie View in Texas Southern. A huge component were coming out of Houston. Right. So a lot of these people went to high school together. And so you can see why that language and the words would move very fast between those two campuses, even though you didn't have cell phones. It just happened yeah. like mm-hmm. that. You had the vehicles for communications. Then we started digging a little deeper, and you find out that he goes to Atlanta for his first fight. A lot of people remember the first fight, but even before the first fight, uh, he had a sparring or exhibition fight, uh, his first literal fight back during this time and it was done at Morehouse College. And so you open that picture and look at that, I think it's just intriguing uh, where you don't necessarily get that thought process when you analyze people, the connection at HBCUs, as I always try to say, it is so embedded in the greater African-American in a lot of ways, uh, black culture across the world in terms of the connection to HBCUs just Amazing, even for somebody that knows it and talks about it, just amazing with that framework. So, I wanted to at least acknowledge that. And then you come back that Sunday morning as you just wrapping your head around Muhammad Ali, whether it's Jackson or Howard, when he's giving speeches and coming through that. And all of a sudden, you hear the news in Orlando a tragedy that certainly takes place. Uh, um, but when I looked at the tragedy, was already concerned of what was taking place and people know on the record my thoughts on assault rifles I mean they're called assault rifles now even though they tried to change it to a hunting rifle that doesn't that doesn't work for me sporting rifle sporting rifle which is a, HB, a HBO's Ra- Brian Gumbel has a segment, a segment in there for and them you May. should watch that for those that, yeah. that are into sports and want to see that component he really does a great job of interviewing somebody that talks about the marketability and goes in a lot of ways the framing of the NRA, uh, which is a whole discussion. But I said openly on the radio on Tuesday when I talked about uh, FAMU mourning the loss of alumnus killed in Orlando, which is uh, Antonio Davin Brown. He was a 29-year-old criminal justice major from Cocoa Beach, Florida, and a member of ROTC during his time on the Hill, as they call FAMU the Hill as well. There's three HBCU campuses that refer to themselves as Hill right down the street, Prairie View, obviously, Alabama A&M, the Hill, and then FAMU, the Hill. Interesting how all three of them are ag and mechanical institutions in terms of Alabama A&M, Florida A&M, and Prairie View A&M. So pointed that out. And then uh, let us not forget it, and that's – information in a lot of ways was courtesy of the hbcudigest.com that does a great deal of work of looking at HBCUs, not just from a sports as we particularly do, but just generalities. And then um, uh, I was awakened and, and 
the thoughts came out on We Speak Their Names, the HBCU alumni is killed in the Charleston Massacre, mm-hmm. which is a anniversary as of yesterday, a very uh, morning anniversary, if you would, and how of the uh, nine individuals killed in that event uh, were HBCU graduates. I'll name all nine of them. Cynthia Graham Hurd was 54, Susan Jackson, 87, Ethel Lance, 70, Reverend DePayne Milton, doctor was 49, the Honor Reverend Clemente Pickney, who was obviously minister of the church, 41, Tawanza Sanders was 26, Reverend Daniel Simmons Sr. was 74, Reverend Sharonda Coleman Singleton was 45, and Myra uh, Thompson was 59. And there was a connection with the HBCU there, as the Honorable Reverend Clemente Pinckney uh, was a Allen University graduate of 95. Sharon Coleman Singleton was a alumnus of South Carolina State University, graduating in 91. Cynthia Graham Hurd was a graduate of Clark Atlanta University. Tawanza Sanders, graduate of Allen University, 2014. Young man, he lost his life in that, uh, helping to make sure his grandmother survived. The Reverend Daniel L. Simmons, Sr., Allen University uh, graduate. Myra Singleton, Thomas Livingston College, and Benedict, graduating from Benedict in 79. Also, the connection we talked about is the Greek, them, uh, our black letter, Greek letter organization, as many of those individuals also mem- members of fraternities and sororities with uh, Reverend Clemente Pickney, a, ma- a man of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, Sharon Coleman Singleton, a uh, young lady, of Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, as well as Cynthia Graham Hurd, um, and uh, the Reverend Daniel Simeon Simmons was a member of Phi Beta Sigma, and Myra Singleton Thomas was a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. So it was all encompassing that we come back and really have to deal with this, and this is the last thing that really hit home. That didn't necessarily the connection to HBCUs was the fact that the two-year-old lost his life at Walt Disney uh, to the alligator. And obviously, I have a two-year-old son. Uh, now I look at Father's Day, all the different. So happy Father Day, Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, and the three-year-old who died in the in Houston in the in the car couldn't get out of the car because of child-proof locks. Yeah, you know overheated in the car he's trying to find his toy and imagine get into the car to get the toy but when the vehicle locked he couldn't get out and his mom apparently uh didn't know he had snuck into the vehicle and she's going through cancer treatments and stuff and by the time they found him it was too late so yeah just tragic tragic circumstances uh, how we do that i'll close on a much lighter note uh, in terms of HBCUs, looking at those programs, you ended the season essentially with 12 from HBCUs earning Division One Outdoor Track All-American honors. And so I'll quickly go through that. All-American second team NCAA Division One with Shane Green, a Coppin State, a senior, triple jump, Trey Holloway, Hampton senior, 110-meter hurdles, Christopher Belcher, North Carolina A&T, junior of the 4 by 100 relay along with Morris Eady, also of A&T, a junior, 4 by 100 relay. And the final two were Khalid Gabriel of North Carolina A&T, a junior, 4 by 100 relay, and Rodney Rowe North Carolina A&T, a freshman, 
400 by relay. Mm-hmm. So those individuals should be back. They're all underclassmen. NCAA Division One women, Jalen Mason of Morgan State, a sophomore high jump. Honorable mention with the NCAA Division One men were Christopher Belcher, North Carolina A&T, the junior, uh, also runs the 100 meters, so he had two All-American mentions there. NCAA Division One women, uh, five individuals here, beginning with Tristan Johnston Bethune-Cookman, a senior 100 meters, going out in style. Also a senior with Sierra Brown out of Hampton, doing the 800 meters, going out in style. And finally, another senior, Clarewin Dummies of Tennessee State, the senior, uh, participated in heptathlon. A lot of people have respect for the heptathlon. you got to be pretty tough to do that. In India Brown, North Carolina ANTL, sophomore, 100 meters. So they'll be back in the mix there. Amber Hughes, Tennessee State junior for triple jump. Uh, A&T had put in a state-of-art track about four or five years ago, if my memory serves me right, but it's been pretty recent. They've actually had regional track mm-hmm. meets there, and so it looks like obviously what they're able to do on the national level because they were ranked number one in terms of what times they have run during the season at several different points of the season. So it seems like it's paying off some dividends there. So that's at least a much brighter note to get back to the full sporting context, particularly from an HBCU interest. With that, get into some of this other talk with the basketball game seven and well we'll get to that all the different things yeah, that are going we'll, around we'll get to that in just a second <laughs> but uh thursday art browse and his attorney were adamant and vehement that they were not going to reach a settlement with baylor over mm. art browse uh termination then friday or thursday night it was announced that our brows and Baylor had scrolling across the reached, ticker. reached a settlement. Yeah, huh. quick like. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like all that stuff, all that hot air came out Thursday during the day. Just like to uh, stoke the fire or whatever, and then give let, them a little more time. Yep, and then lo and <laughs> behold, they reached a settlement. And uh, one regent, Baylor regent Clifton Robinson, said that quote, "The Bryles era is over." It was not disclosed what the monetary settlement is of the roughly $40 million left on our brows contract. Over our, wow. Uh, now, this is after years, so. uh, early in the week, everybody was hearing that you had some board of regents <laughs> that were saying that they were pushing for him to actually come back in a year. That yeah. he, they should rethink the way they were going about this. So and one of those really got regents when you was uh, Drake McLean, the former owner of the Astros. Was that right? I didn't so know who, that. Who was pushing for that. So, uh, that's intriguing. That was some, some scuttlebutt about that. But here's a quote from the regent, uh, Mr. Clifton Robinson, toward the end. It's still kind of rubbed me the wrong way with everything that Baylor is going through still with uh, how they've mishandled the sexual assault um, cases on campus. And they still have Title IX lawsuits, and they're facing all kinds of other legal problems surrounding their poor handling of the sexual assault cases. Uh, Clifton Robinson says, quote, I think Baylor University will, will recover from this much quicker than people think because we have committed ourselves to a great athletic program and we will continue to commit, to commit ourselves to a great athletic program. Because of that, we will be able to attract the very best coaching staff and athletic director. This too will pass, end quote. I agree with that, but I'm not sure that's what you want to put out. Not right at now. This time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I agree with all that. I mean, I think he's 
speaking the truth in so many different ways. But how can you say that when all this is going on? This screams for when they talk about diversity and inclusion and really putting it in action. I think when you have people that are similar in age, similar in background, ethnicity, similar in terms of gender, oftentimes they're so focused about their freedoms, uh, what many of us have coined in the language <laughs> edification of white privilege. Uh, you see it glowingly, and it's intriguing for me. People that live it, many of them will not really see a big deal about that statement. You know, and, and that's that's a, a problem because too many people really can't even contemplate the other perspective. Right. You know, they are just so within their own bubble yeah. that they are shocked that's to so even bring it up the other how the other half lives or other half thinks or and they just have no idea of what's going on outside of their own insulated bubble that's a whole nother topic doc mm -hmm. uh, game six was not over but this tweet which has been deleted but this tweet quote i've lost all respect Sorry, this is absolutely rigged for money or ratings. I'm not sure which. I won't be silent. Just saw it live. Sorry. End quote. That was from Aisha Curry. The wife. Steph Curry's wife, after her hubby was whistled for foul number six uh, during the Warriors' loss, 115-101 loss to Cleveland to tie the series 3-3 and force an exciting game seven. But we'll get to the Game 7 issue in a second. Yes. Let's talk about the fact that Aisha Curry said, basically saying that the NBA is rigged for money and ratings. Yes. And it's I, into I, the narrative, but you can't say it. You can't say and it. And not only can you not say it, it's, let me put this out there. It is not true. It is just too many people involved to make that happen. Even if people wanted it to happen. Now, are there... Situations where Draymond Green put himself in a position where the league was like, we're tired of all these other things, and could they have went either direction, and maybe it was easier for them to say, hey, let's sit him down, and we, there's a chance we get a game six. We like game six, yes, but did they go in there solely focused saying, hey, how can we look at this and make a decision so we can likely get a game six? Because many people were still thinking, if you're honest with many people thought that them going home, even without Draymond Green, right. that they were going to find a way to right. get that victory. So it's just too many variables uh, for that to be the case. Let me also put this out there. I think of all the games that we watch as professionals, one of the most challenging games to referee is basketball, just in general, because you have a couple of calls that go either way. I mean, uh, and just small little details sure. determine which way they go based on that. And you add in the fact, that's at any level to me. Right. But you add in at the professional level where folks are so talented at their craft, they train to deceive and, a lot, and have deception, or as some people would say, gamesmanship, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, and they're just faster, stronger, 
in a lot of ways, it is just challenging to ref, to ref these games. And I think it's just human error that happens. Just natural human error in terms of a game that moves so fast, so athletic, which is, to be honest, one of the reasons that I have really gravitated to basketball more in the past. I used to be more of a football fan in the past. There's a lot of things about football that have turned me off, not necessarily the game, just uh, all these things off the field mm-hmm. now, and different things, particularly how the NFL uh, monetized that and how they don't give guaranteed contracts, the head trauma, the body sure. injury. All those have really turned me off of basketball. Now I'm focused on basketball in a lot of ways. Until recently with that analytics discussion, it also was one of the sports that was more diverse, right. not just on the court, obviously, but throughout the league. And so with all those things coming together, I've watched and focused on basketball a lot more. And to me, it is just a challenging game to call. From June 20, 2006, you may, you may be able to guess who this is from. <laughs> I'm used to getting emails from fans claiming the NBA is this or that. The NBA wants a team to win based on market size. The NBA doesn't want me to win because the league doesn't like me. So-and-so has money on the game. The NBA makes more money when the series goes seven games. It's all nonsense, this person says. Any prudent, rational person can easily see it. The games are not rigged. That's a complete insult to the players on the court and the incredible amount of effort they put into preparing for and playing the games. All 82 regular season games, all 82 regular season and postseason games, the NBA couldn't rig the games if it wanted to, and it doesn't want to. It's that simple. I agree with that, though. Who said that? Who wrote that? That sounds like a basketball player nope. saying that. No? It's an owner. Uh, Mark Cuban, he's yes, out there all the yeah. time. Mark Cuban wrote that in his blog 10 years ago. He retweeted it two days ago. And this is a guy that has a lot of problems with yeah. <laughs> with league rules as well as the officiating. So for him to say that, and he's the type of person that certainly is not going to hold back, and he's certainly not going to hold back if it doesn't benefit his team. And that's the other thing I don't think people would understand. How do you rig a game, keep it from the owners, or have the owner worse, how the owners be complicit when all of them want to win? How do you do that? Explain that to me. Now, I do know what I think a lot of people get into is that there are certain players that get some calls, uh, which in a lot of ways leads people sure. to the next step. And I think there are some frameworks where you do know some players get some calls. But I think even in that, that has changed a lot. I think that was more evident. Michael Jordan, I'm, I'm, maybe I'll, I need to apologize up front because a lot of people say you can't say anything about Michael Jordan. because I guy. can. <laughs> so. But he was probably one of the preeminent individuals that many people said that he got calls. But I'd say in a lot of ways that these players, you hear even people talking about this, that certain players don't get calls. And this is on both of these two-star players we have now that many people are really salivating about Game 7 because it's going to, in one way, kind to anoint either one of these players and could take them in a different trajectory. Um, Most of it in the upper trajectory in terms of whoever wins. We just talked about one, his wife, Curry. Another one people know as LeBron James. You've heard it all the time that even people 
often say that these two players do not necessarily get the calls. Obviously, I think it's intriguing because it's different of why they don't get it. Many people say that LeBron is so big and strong that he doesn't get the calls uh, because he's so physical and, and they ref him different from that physicality. And I think to some degree probably some of that's true. But then you had the opposite with Curry where they say that he doesn't get the call because they allow them to be too physical with him, that he needs to be able to move and get some game off. So I think even if you look at the dichotomy of that right there, it tells you in a lot of ways, again, that if you're not careful, sometimes you look at this, uh, blinds eye and you're not very objective uh, uh, from not even if you're a fan of these just in terms of how you view these games again it goes back to my first point this is just a truly difficult game to call and if you're to some degree a fan of it I think in a lot of ways you almost have to love that about the game that, that it can go down to that and that's how these games have these weird ebbs and flows because you have humans calling the games and a lot of times we talk about the consistently but it's so hard to be consistent as a human in these games that you even see a different ebb and flow oftentimes not only from half to half but it could be from quarter to quarter Yeah, and after uh, game six well you know Steph when Steph picked up his sixth file he went off he was, <laughs> and they threw his mouthpiece, and some fans were that saying <laughs> that uh, the league has to suspend him for Game Seven because he threw his mouthpiece, hit a fan, yeah, right. and and precedent had been set. The precedent wasn't set when a player, in this case Reggie Miller, and I think uh, Adonis from the, uh, Miami, Adonis Haslam, and uh, he hit the referee. He threw right at the ref. Right. Okay. Straight at the ref. Yeah. Ready to do it at the ref. Yeah. Purposely. Purposely. On purpose. Yeah. You knew it. You know. You knew it. So it was without question. Even they. You know, yeah. You know, Steph just was upset. Just flung it. Yeah. Flung his mouthpiece. Yeah. And he happened to hit a fan. And then he went, went right up to the fan and apologized to the fan. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, good well he wasn't gonna be suspended for that. Yeah. He got fined twenty five grand. And should have got. Fined. You know, got fined and, and then head coach to Steve Kerr during his post game press conference. Him, like he should have. He you know and he, he got fined. Play. He got fined twenty five grand. He should have. Which is the maximum that. According to the collective bargaining agreement, that a coach can be fined for comments, uh, well, you know, against the officiating. Well said. So, one thing, media has been complicit for allowing some of this um, conspiracy theories to grow and fester. So it's that's part, you know, and it's not that's the national media a component of it. Yes, it is. But they have instead of nipping us in the bud years ago. They allowed it to fester and grow, just similar to a certain political candidate who yes. is running for, who is the presumptive uh, nominee for the, the Republican, Republican Party. Party yes. Years ago, let things grow, conspiracies grow. Enough people didn't put him in check. Oh, that's just him being him. And now he's saying those same things over now. And now, you, now you're upset. Yeah, you're talking about the birth of Obama. Yeah. One of the things he used to put out there. That you weren't upset years ago when he said it, but now he's, he's your nominee for your party. Oh, well, now it's, oh. We have some issues. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I mean, so look at look in the mirror sometimes. But another thing is with the media, less less reason is because the more folks are blogging, and those are fans who will blog, and some of them are getting credentials from teams. Yeah, you have the split new so place that we're still trying. That's to more out fandom, yeah. and not yeah. objective reporting and journalism. Yeah. So it kind of bleeds over into that, too. I'll so. take this one part, but I would say a reason that in a lot of ways that these blogs 
are able to live in the spheres, not only they have access, but even the traditional media sure. has moved in that direction. Oh, I so you too. have oh, these yeah. two mediums closing up. And I say this again, not just to make this a referendum OJ Simpson the movie, but one of the things they highlighted in there was the change in the media sphere. And obviously that was, uh, you had the cable networks going on because that was televised fully on CNN, but you still didn't have the number of specialized channels, right. of multiple media news outlets that would cover things such as, as we just seen, was that last year when we talk about the Charleston 9, which uh, I got that information from HBCUStory.com, full credit to them uh, when you talk about that, is is the fact that you you have a different framework of how this is covered, even from the mainstream media. Yep. Let's talk on the court now, Game 7. Oh, real quick about ratings. Uh, this, the first six games of the finals, NBA finals, have all been decided by double digits. But the ratings are still excellent yes. for the NBA. Um, each, heck, each day after a game, NBA or Nielsen p- puts out the ratings for, you know, the press releases about the ratings. And they are, they've won the uh, time slot, primetime time slot, like 54 nights in a row, because NBA Finals, um, you know, summertime, it kind of helps you mm-hmm. win the rating, ratings battle, but still, it's a lot to brag about on yourself, but 20 million, 20.7 million viewers for game six, an overall rating of 14.1, um, it's the highest rated uh, series through six games I think it was a game five was the highest rated game five since 2004 which was the Pistons Lakers so obviously I'm basking below that as a Pistons fan so that's interesting so uh, that information some of that info is on my men's hoops blog you can go to HoustonRoundBarView.com and, and see the, the blog post about that game seven docs June 19th Father's Day Juneteenth here in Texas for us Game is a 7 p.m. start, roughly 7.05 on ABC. Who you got? This is really close to call for me. I'm open, not necessarily. I used to be more of a fan where LeBron James, when he went back to Cleveland, kind of broke me in different ways. I've talked about that before, so I won't rehash that. But I do like the way he's bounced back. I think he's playing some uh, beautiful brand of basketball. He has a team that is more engaged and helping more than ever. Uh, he is obviously the te- uh, player that can take over a game, but something just tells me going back to Golden State. Uh, this is a team. What is the second time all year long they won back? Uh, lost back to back. Lost back to back. Haven't lost three games in a row. Lost yet. three games in a row. It's just going to be really hard for me to imagine within that crowd. I mean, you had two superlative crowds, which goes back to your point in terms of media markets. They've taken that out, blown that out the window with the report you just gave. I just believe it's going to be a challenge to keep all those talented players from Golden State for somebody not to step up, if not multiple players stepping up. It's just going to be hard for me to believe. So it's kind of obvious uh, to me where direction I'm going, and I'll put it on the table. I'm going with the Warriors to go back-to-back and deny LeBron James for becoming the first place and then basketball to win a game seven after being down 3-1 as well as 
in a lot of ways, I think he's done a good job to kind of reset the calibration as long as he doesn't follow down in that. But if he wins, obviously it's three in six straight years, which in a lot of ways similar to what we just seen with Denver. Obviously, he's not going to call it a career as um, you seen with the Denver Broncos, Elway, the manager dealing with Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. closing out that uh, era, if you would, because I think a lot of people are going to look past the first one. So I think it'll be interesting, but at the end of the day, I'm going with the Golden State Warriors, but I can't wait. I cannot wait to watch this game. I am glad you, you picked the Warriors, so I'll, be, I'll take the uh, counter point, counter view. I hey, think, it sounds like we need to put a stake on this. I think you, you in our last podcast, you picked the Warriors. Yeah, in, I'm sticking okay, with it. But didn't you say Warriors in seven, or did you yes. say Warriors in six? I think it's in six. Okay, because yeah, I said Cavs in six, so that's I might have can't happen. seven, because I didn't think that they would win. So, so, uh, but I'm going to say all logic – you know, the last team to win a road game seven in the finals, I think, 1979, when yeah. I think Seattle beat the Bullets. They have the they have the so, man in the chamber that can get it done. So the road team in this in uh, best of seven is 3-15 and 15 in finals in game seven. Uh, hasn't been done in years. The city of Cleveland has won a championship in 60 years. Uh, you know, part of me is would like Cleveland get that hump off their back. You know that that building, that skyscraper off their back, and and give the city of Cleveland, the Clevelanders, something to feel good about sports-wise. So, but it's going to come down to LeBron has scored 41 points the last two games, each game five, game six. So he's the best player on the floor in the series. Folks already believe he should be MVP, win or lose in game seven. Uh, yeah, that buses went out the window though. They didn't so, want the name of so, yeah, yeah, that came sign of But I think even if he does forty points close game, lose last shot or whatever, I still don't think they're gonna give him the MVP. But first and foremost, I hope it's a close game throughout. Yeah, we finally get a good one. So I mean, we've had games that tied at halftime. Yeah, but then quarter. third quarter things just fall apart. Yeah. You know, fourth quarter even I think uh it was a game four or four, I think game four when Cleveland was within six Points, six or eight points, yeah, and then got game one and game four. You know, and then got the blown off the floor in the fourth quarter. So hopefully, it's competitive throughout, and it's not uh, a fifteen point lead in the first quarter where your team's playing catch up, and then it gets close, and then it goes back up to a double digit, you know, victory again. That's one thing. Andre Iguodala was seeing tweets from the NBA beat writers who were in Oakland that he's back, uh, spasms, he's feeling better. Uh, so his health status will be a key. Clearly, the Warriors are going to be without Andrew Bogut. So they, they miss his size and, and shot-blocking presence in the paint. And they've had a really tough time dealing with, with Tristan Thompson of the Cavs the last two games. He's had double-doubles and just cleaned up the glass for, for Cleveland. I haven't heard much about Kyrie Irving's uh, left foot. Uh, see if, you know, he rolled it. I think he rolled his foot in game six. I haven't heard any updates on how he's doing. So we'll see. It's almost it's game seven, last game of the NBA 2015-2016 season. It's uh, attrition now. You see, you may see guys play 47 to 48 minutes. You know, if the game goes overtime, you're going to see guys playing the entire ball games and then some because this is it. You can rest in the offseason. 
So we'll see what LeBron has left in the tank. We'll see. We'll see if Harrison Barnes of the Warriors makes a shot since uh, Game Four. He's I think two for his last 15 or so. He's not really uh, playing himself into a max contract this off season. He's still going to get one though. But right. um, we'll see if Clay Thompson. We we'll see if the Splash Brothers can step up and come through as they have done throughout this season. We'll see if Leandro Barbosa will continue shooting well for the Warriors. We'll see if Sean Livingston can recapture his magic that he had in Game One. That he was a matchup nightmare for the Cavs and hasn't has been that successful since then. Uh, we'll see if J.R. Smith is the good J.R. or the bad J.R. <laughs> uh, we'll see if Kevin Love does anything positive for Cleveland as opposed to picking him three fouls. You know, basically, when he goes to the bench, the Warriors have problems with the Cavs because then Kevin Love's on the floor. Golden State seems to do well, do much better with Kevin Love on the floor for Cleveland than they do when Kevin Love is on the bench. So, a lot of different scenarios, but I'm going to say uh, Cleveland wins the ball game, shocks the world, wins on the road, turns the NBA on its on its end because a 73-win team, bracket-setting team, will lose Game 7 on its home floor Woo! to close out the season, which will eliminate, in some people's eyes, that awesome achievement of winning 73 games in 83 game. NBA season so final score I'm going to say something like 108-105 so it won't be like a three point game yeah, the but 108-104 something like that free throws so, yeah. but yeah I'm going to go with the Eastern Conference squad so I'm saying Cavs 108 Warriors 104 you're going to give a score since yeah, you're going to I'll put say, a stake on this you're going to have to do something yeah so. I'm going to say 111 one one eleven to one oh two. All right. So uh and will, will you be there Tuesday? Yeah, I should be in the to uh to pay to pay my steak? No, I'm I'm gonna eat well Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. But yes, I'll be there Tuesday to okay. enjoy my steak. Okay. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear we will have a so, steak. Yeah, so yeah, so that 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 uh, that friendly wager. You're gonna get back to me. Now. That friendly wager is, is uh, set. Uh, okay, one last thing. NBA wise, NBA the league office sent out a memo to the uh, the teams Friday, announcing that the salary cap is projected to be now. It's even it, going further than they going, thought, right? Yeah, Woo. going to be ninety-four million dollars instead of the initial projection of ninety-two million. That was just in April. That's a good business to be in so, right now. So it's gone up. Uh, you know, this is from the TV money that uh, ESPN and ABC, et cetera. So a $24 billion TV deal over nine years finally kicks in for the 16-17 NBA season. Salary cap will be $94 million with the luxury tax line will be even higher than that. It should be $113 million. Wow. And then part of the collective bargaining agreement, part of the uh, es- escrow, the owners will return $133 million to the players to uh, cover a shortfall from the players' agreement to receive 50% of basketball-related income. And that number was projected to be $93 million, so it's $40 million more than that initial projection. And that the 93 would have was would have been a record. So the 133 is a way over that mark. So trust and believe that next summer... The owners will decide to return to the 
bargaining table again because wow. they will want to fix some of these issues that they believe are problematic. So enjoy this summer of free agency on time because next summer may have a little delay in it, even yeah. though I think both sides realize that they they really don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. This is this is this is a truly golden era of finances for the NBA. I won't go into NBA player wise because you can argue that all you want to. But financially, you can't argue this that. is this is a golden era right here. So let's enjoy it as long you as long as possible. Cannot argue that, Chris. Great analysis there. How can folks find you, sir? Yes, they can find me uh, right here listening to the podcast. We're glad to have you listening. I uh, want to say thank you for those that are purchasing the shirts. Uh, we plan to get some more orders in, so uh, with uh, even more sizes and a little more variety. So look for that coming really soon. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. You can find me every Tuesday live at KKBQ 92.9 in terms of HD2, I should say. That's FM HD2. Uh, If you can't catch it live, uh, that is in the KCOH studio. You can go to www.kcohradio.com, and you can even... Watch me in the studio from streaming and listen as well. Or you can catch it as a podcast on SoundCloud at Dr. Gaville's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. So you can catch that uh, whenever it works for you. But if you want to catch it live, that's every Tuesday from 6 to 7, 6 to 7 Central Standard Time. So you can listen to me and catch that as well. I do want to push out here and kind of break into different areas. We show you that we can go across the world, obviously, right now. Copa America Centario, looking at the 100-year anniversary of Copa America. It's bigger and better than ever playing right here in America, so a lot of people are very excited about that. You have Argentina, uh, arguably Messi, the best player in the world. They won today? No, they play at 7 tonight. Uh, That is Eastern time, so that would be 6 for us. They uh, play tonight. A lot of people are excited about that. That's Gillette Stadium, Foxborough. And then what everybody is – looking for particularly in our area it's mexico last time they played in houston this past week i was all around going out for lunch and i saw all the beautiful mexico uh, t-shirts uh, as they were celebrating getting ready for that big game as they were in the house and got it done they take on chile uh, that game will be broadcast at uh, 10 eastern nine o'clock our time that's at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. That's obviously home for the 49ers. Last past Super Bowl for those people that went there. With that, I have to talk about USA getting a big win. Big win. Oh, Ecuador surprising a lot of people because people, at one point after their first loss in the oh, tournament, yeah. people were talking about whether Klingsman was actually going to keep his job. They've run off a couple of games. Now they're in the semifinals, uh, in a, looking really good at this point, waiting to see what they're going to get uh, played next and see if they can get a collision course for either Mexico or Argentina, which would be intriguing to see if they can get that. Now I'm going to go further, go across the pond, look at UEFA uh, 2016 in France. UE, uh, just intriguing when you talk about the matchups. It's been a beautiful game, a lot of scoring. Pretty excited about that. And give you an update, live update. Portugal just went up on Australia. Uh, one to nil, 86 minutes. At Austria. East, Austria, thank you. As they're getting that done there, pretty exciting there. But unfortunately, a lot of the talk has not really been about the game on the pitch as you see uh, what 
coach from Croatia, the manager, Ante Kasik, talked about the first time we've heard this phrase. It'll be interesting to see if it catches on as sports terrorists. As you've seen, flares. Uh, people are saying that it's part of protest from people that are angry against players and the coaches on the team. Uh, it goes back some time uh, against that. But uh, with terrorists, international terrorists, obviously going back again to what we talked about Orlando and uh, to some degree what people are talking about Brazil for the Olympics, uh, people are focused on UEFA and their inability to keep these individuals out the game. Early in the week you had somebody have a flare gun uh, openly shot across the pitch, and then you see about five, ten of these flares on the ground and one guy actually trying to get it off and one coming right in front of him. Um, it looked from TV that he wasn't scared him more than anything, but you really hadn't had reports to see if he was or was not injured, and so I hope and pray that he wasn't. But I think that is an interesting scenario when you take away from the beautiful game as a lot of people talk about being played, some greatness, and now much of the fodder, the talk, is more again about this new term that is coming out in terms of sports terrorists. So wanted to make sure we brought and gave you a big world view of all the sports that are going on in the interest, and that really captured my thought. I'm a big soccer fan, so I wanted to get that on the table. And the U.S. semifinals match will be in Houston at NRD Stadium Tuesday. And there's going to be, I expect, a whole lot of security <laughs> at, at that game. So, uh, a match, I think, slated for 8 o'clock our time. So Great point. get there early and pack your patience because there's going to be some long lines of people checking bags and all kinds of stuff. So it's going to be uh, one of my coworkers after U.S. beat Ecuador in the quarterfinals went online to just look at ticket prices. And that was, uh, what, Thursday? Thursday. Uh-huh. What did you say? And he said the uh, upper sections were going for 150 Wow. So, um, and people are talking about this, and they need to realize that uh, soccer has found a footprint, or football has found a footprint in America. Uh, it may not be at the level, obviously, of baseball, football, not for sure, even basketball. Uh, but uh, in a lot of ways, it's surpassed hockey, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I'd say that for uh, sure, yeah. Maybe not Major League Soccer yet, but I think you can certainly talk about the Big Five now, not just the Big Four. I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks, Doc. I am KG of the Houston Round Bar Review, HoustonRoundBarReview.com, Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube, Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram, VHR Review on Twitter. Check us out on uh, our on Facebook at KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc. There on Facebook, our podcasts are also available on Pod Directory and iTunes. We have a few people listening uh, on iTunes and Pod Directory as well. Our last podcast, I think, was one of our most popular ones in about a year. So thank everyone for listening to that one. Uh, hope you enjoy it. We got the NBA draft coming up on Thursday. The Rockets have second-round picks. They don't have a first-round pick. So it's been <laughs> kind of hush-hush on who they've brought in for workouts and things like that. And I'm kind of curious if there will be a a press conference to discuss the second-round picks since they don't have a first-round pick. So I'm waiting on to hear, get a press release regarding that. Right. It's going to be a late night if they do have a press conference uh, Thursday after the draft. See if they move up in, move into the first round or just stay 
with their uh, picks in the second round. But go to HoustonRoundBarView.com for for more information about that. I'm still working on finalizing and updating all the pages to make them smartphone and uh, compatible. It's still a process, but we'll get that done as well. And then get ready for free agency and see what the Rockets do free agent-wise and, and how to uh, make James Harden and Mike D'Antoni's team better for the 2016-2017 season. Oh, one last thing. I have purchased my uh, parking pass for the U of H OU football game on September 3rd. So got that done. Looking forward to that. Parking pass. The game is. So you tailgating? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I might come back, come by and oh, work that yes. out with you, Chris. So uh, game's at 11 o'clock in the morning on on Saturday. Good for you. So we'll be getting there. Maybe we'll Early. Or a live podcast from the tailgate. If we do, better do it before I start. Yeah, I'm <laughs> for the so, first one tip off. Yeah, <laughs> I need so, to make sure I'm there on time. Huh? So yeah, we will figure that out. So we'll do something that that's uh, you know a little bit more than two months away. So but I got that done. Got a few of my other friends are going to uh, do that as well. So we're working on that. We already got our tickets for the game at Texans, the Texan Stadium, NRG, for the Advocare cook, cook kickoff. So looking forward to that, but. Really anxious about Game 7 Sunday night. ABC, Cavs, Warriors. Somebody's going to make history in a good way, and somebody's going to make history in a bad way. So we'll see how it all plays out. Get your popcorn ready. (laughs) And wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.